my son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project UP, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another emergency edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. I don't have any coffee today, so there's not going to be any coffee breaks, so you're going to have to listen closely. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and as you know, I'm trying to be more active on the Instagrams at Douglas David Robertson. I have a special guest today, newly verified, as he says, respect the check, Joe Patrick on Twitter, uh, the hardest working man in Atlanta media. I think. There's not a team he doesn't have an opinion on. And today, we're going to talk about Sunday's news of Atlanta United firing manager Gabriel Heinze and what might be coming next. Joe, were you surprised by Sunday's news? Mm, No, I wasn't surprised. Um, You know, I think that things that we've been hearing about the club were... I don't know if you heard them, but, you know, I was kind of hearing things about the club and obviously the Joseph Martinez situation, things, every, everything popped off after that. You know, it was just kind of, an, it became untenable, you know, in the truest definition. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I don't think I was surprised. Um, I'm, I've been surprised by some of the things I've continued to learn about what was happening, especially, you know, Doug McIntyre with the story this morning about the water. Um, that's pretty shocking. And I'm kind of surprised they didn't just come out and say that that was one of the reasons or identify some like protocols that were being breached because that just seems to me like a reason that you could literally dismiss uh, a coach if you needed if you wanted to or needed to so um I'm, I'm i still wish the club would be a little bit more direct about the reasons why this happened because of what it's ha- what's happening now is you know fans and media and everybody are trying to piece together the explanations and i really just think that it is some sort of combination of all of these things it's not just the joseph thing though it may have been the straw that broke the camel's bag it's not just this or that i think it's just all of these things together, the context, the team, the eight games without a win in a row, I think it all plays a part. I'm assuming, perhaps incorrectly, because the team won't say, that they may have invoked a clause in Heinz's contract uh, about uh, following the rules of the CBA and other things, and so there might be some liability there mm. if they go into the details of why Heinze was fired. Maybe get out of the contract too. Yeah, contract. That, that's what I'm wondering. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't seen it, Doug McIntyre of Fox Sports now um, had a report this morning that Heinze denied players water during training sessions. Not all, just some training sessions. Included in my reporting yesterday was the MLSPA, which is the players' union, filing grievances on behalf of Atlanta. United's players to the league uh, about Heinz's training practices, which uh, he apparently he was not giving them days off. Uh, in the 2015-19 CBA, I believe players had to get one day off a week and uh, a minimum of like ten days 
every not ten days, but something like that. Yeah, it can't. They can't do it too strict because you have midweek games, yeah, and so yeah. things change in the schedule. But it's like, yeah, I, I don't know the specifics, but I mean, clearly this team was just kind of being run into the ground and yeah. overworked, and yeah. And that was evidenced by the late injuries that kept piling up. Jurgen Dom, Alan Franco, Mateus Wazetu, among others. I think it happened to Barco one time. Um, and you kept wondering, why are these happening like on a Friday when they're playing Saturday? Well, it's because the team was continuing to train. <laughs> they weren't hard, doing walkthroughs hard anymore. And hard training sessions. And it's not like you, you should definitely practice hard, you know, but you probably shouldn't be practicing that hard the day before a game. Like, it was pretty shocking to me. You know, I, I, we, I spoke with Anton Walks on, you know, my podcast Five Stripe Final earlier this year. And it's like, you know, the typical training regi- regi- uh, regimen is like, you, you know, you go through your week. I don't know how many days you have in a week to train, but then like the day before a game, is kind of more like a walkthrough. You know, you're walk doing more set tactical things. Yeah, exactly. And so it was shocking that players were getting hurt in those circumstances. And it just kept happening. It wasn't yeah. one-offs. It just kept happening. So Heinz is gone. You know, it's you don't want to see someone lose their job. But in this case, I guess I don't mind seeing someone lose their job because he just wasn't a nice guy uh, to anybody except maybe the players. Um, you know, can I say something? Yeah. It's funny because I feel like we actually got less of a look into how bad of a guy he was. Like, with media, it's whatever. You know, you're sitting in front of a computer, especially we're doing everything over Zoom uh, until today, which is great. Um, but, you know... It's interesting because, actually, I don't think that we even... We kind of got a sense of the coldness or whatever, you know, that, that is expressed uh, through those Zoom meetings, but I don't think that we really even got a feel for exactly how bad it was. So I, it's, this is not a, a situation of, like, media complaining about the coach being mean or anything like that. He was generally pretty nice. He would answer the questions. He would sometimes offer to, like, explain more if he didn't explain it well enough, at least early on. Uh, but I think that it was really kind of out of our sight. I think we were kind of blinded to a lot of the issues that really were determinative in the decision. Yeah, it was, you know, you, you when he was hired, you start reading about him and you, people start sounding off on social media talking about he's going to be a, a strict guy, a my way or the highway type of guy. And then he gets here and because of COVID, we're not allowed to come to training. We're not allowed to do some of the things that we were able to do in previous years. But, and then some odd stuff starts happening. He talks in December. He doesn't talk to us again until two days before the first championship game. Yeah. So the whole training camp, the whole practice, we don't talk to him. And it's, we were told at times he's going to be available this week, finally mm-hmm. canceled. Going to be available this week, finally canceled. And then you start to wonder, this, this is not right. This yeah. isn't good. And then Heinz chooses to use his own translator. Instead of Justin, who we all know and does a good job, the new translator, bless his heart, might have been a nice guy, but was not good uh, in terms of trying to understand what was being said. And you, and then you wonder about that a little bit, and then the results keep piling up, and you try to ask kinds of questions about it, and you'd always get, well, as I've said before, or as I'm repeating myself, those kind of answers. And sometimes he wouldn't answer the question you asked, or I think he, he understood enough English that he was guessing the question, mm-hmm. and it wasn't the question. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just really became a problem. It became a problem for me, and I'm trying to do my job. It became a problem for Joe, who's trying to do his job. And some of it was just unnecessary. But then the results, that's the main yeah. thing. Yeah. Scoreless in four of its past five. Two wins this season, one against Montreal, which I think Joe describes came out of nothing which is accurate. The other against arguably the league's worst team, or one of the worst, Chicago. And really, that was just kind of three moments of brilliance and not anything great. Mm -hmm. Um, 
this is a team that it struggled now under Frank DeBoer. It struggled under Glass. It struggled under Heinze. At some point, you have to look at the roster and you have to just tell yourself, maybe these players just aren't as good. Maybe they just don't work well together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, none of this stuff is in a vacuum. I think you have to look at the, the roster and, and understand that. I, I think fans get it. I think well, like, it's not a surprise. I don't think anybody is like. Um, like arguing that this roster is good enough to be, you know, at a championship level or whatever. And so, you know, I think that that's why we're feeling, or not we're feeling, but we're kind of seeing the heat from fans on Carlos Bocanegra. And I think it's deserved because, you know, that's always going to happen when, a, uh, you know, a roster in any sport is put together in a way that isn't pleasing to fans. They're going to voice that displeasure. And, you know, Carlos Bocanegra is responsible for that, plain and simple. So, you know, there's obviously Gabriel Heinze had a huge huge amount of influence in what happened this year. But I think that also, you know, you have to look at Carlos Bocanegra and, and and be critical of the way that this, you know, this club and this roster in particular has gone since that championship year. It's kind of shocking to just, like, think about where this club is right now, considering where they were three years ago. It, it truly is. I mean, it, just to quickly recap for those who might be new to the team, who are just jumping in because of the Heinz situation, the, the past few DPs the team has signed uh, have not worked out, are not working out. You could say the jury's still out on Alan Franco, though I don't think he's going to be a DP much longer. Mm-hmm. I think they'll buy him down. Marcelino Moreno still really hasn't done much to be impactful on the wing or in the, or in the center midfield. He hasn't been able to work with Joseph a lot, though, mm-hmm. to, to be fair to him. Ezekiel Barco, just I don't, uh, I don't want to use the word disaster, but just has not worked out at all. Pitti Martinez not did not work out at all and got the gift of a Saudi Saudi Arabian club offering a lot of money that Atlanta United smartly jumped on. And as I was just telling Jason Davis on his show, tell me the last impactful signing made from 2018 season from from the start of the season because Nagy became before the season from that point forward. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, like. I would. I love Julian Gressel. I didn't. I didn't think he ever should have left. But I do say I think that Brooks Lund has been a good signing. Like yep. he, he, that, for the, the value that you signed him for, I think that that's a good signing. Um, is he a game changer? No, 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 absolutely not. He's a. He's a. That's, he's, what, that's a what the team is missing right, right now. Exactly. He's a solid role player for a team. You mm-hmm. know, uh, gives you a lot of that kind of work rate and things like that. But that's kind of you know that is stuff that you can kind of you can get uh, for relatively little value. So. Um, you know, yeah, the, you're right. I mean, I, I obviously see where you're going with the question, and I totally agree that this team has not signed the game changers that it needs. These kinds of you know X factors that really drive a team's performance in MLS. And I would say, if we're going to be optimistic at all on this podcast, it's that you know things can turn around really quickly okay. if you do get out underperforming DPS and you get in perf- DPS that perform. That pretty much immediately takes you from wherever you are to a, a good team, and if you can surround good DPS with good value players, whether they come from the academy or draft picks or whatever, that's when you go from good to a good team to a great team. So I think that, you know, you really can turn things around quickly in this situation, but you have to be really decisive and make the moves that are needed to be made. And I think that this was one of them, but, you know, clearly there are more moves that need to happen on the roster. I apologize for the background noise. We're in the pavilion at Atlanta United, and one of the camera guys for a TV station was singing or something. Um, Santiago Sosa I guess could eventually be that guy, yeah. but ever since his bright start, he's really kind of tailed off uh, 
especially defensively. He's supposed to be a guy who's a great passer, and as I noted yesterday, he still doesn't have an assist this year. His expected assists are like .03, which is Mateus Rosetu yeah. territory. Um, but I think he can develop, and I think he can be good. I don't know if he's going to be a difference maker, though. Again, that's the problem. This team doesn't have the difference makers. To your point, if they can unload Barco on somebody, uh, buy down Franco, they'll have two DP slots open. They can go and get an attacking midfielder, go and get a dynamic winger, turn Marcelino Moreno into a, a starter or an off-the-bench guy. If Joseph Martinez can get healthy, these are all big ifs. Yeah, they can quickly climb. I don't know if they're they're not they're not going to be first, second, or third. We're going to have to have a word with Emily Gagnon after all this. Um, but again, do you trust Carlos Bocanegra? to find those right. signings. Yeah. It's 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 the situation that the team is in right now. I'm going to give Carlos the benefit of the doubt, but I think the leash for lack of a really a poor choice of words is really short with him right now. Yeah, and you know, you say the benefit of the doubt. I don't the fans are not going to give him the benefit of the doubt anymore. Um regardless of what we think, you know, and and we're not the ones who are buying tickets and um, you know, essentially funding the club, you know? Um, so, you know, that's something that Darren Eels is going to have to grapple with, and Arthur Blank, frankly, is going to have to grapple with, is, like, what what are the moves that you have to make in the front office? And, I, you know, I I'm, I would never call for somebody's job or anything like that, and I certainly think that Carlos Bocanegra has competencies that can help the club. Like, this team was also very successful with mm-hmm. Carlos Bocanegra yep. as the technical director. You have to point out three trophies the team has won yeah. under Carlos Bocanegra. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that if you, if you just have to surround him and you know you just have to create the right environment for all these people to thrive whether it's him whether it's somebody who's going to work with him and this uh, Demetrius Estafiu um, you know you just have to put people in, in places where they can really do the things that they're that are their strongest competencies and that would puts everybody in a position to succeed and it just as it seems um, exceedingly to me these last couple of years like the signings that the team is making is more kind of out of convenience almost. Yeah, yeah. Like, you get Marcelino Moreno because maybe you've done business with Lanus before and you kind of have that option available. And that's not always a bad thing. It's it's great to have networks of, you know, people who you're familiar with and trust. Um, But at some point, you got to kind of, you know, be able to expand what you you can do in the transfer market and and try to you know build the best roster you can. Uh, and thank you for calling out Santiago Sosa because I do think he's a, a quality player. And I think that part of the reason why he just doesn't have kind of those numbers that you would expect from a guy who's kind of like a high paid or a star or whatever, uh, he's not even that high paid, uh, is the fact that Gabriel Heinze was utilizing him essentially as a center back. Yeah, he yeah. was playing like as a, as a central center yeah, back. And, so, and I wonder if the club was even like that happy with him being utilized that way because he wasn't able to kind of impact the game in the area where the team need, has needed it for a long time, which is more in the attack in the middle third and then the final third. Uh, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and on Instagram at Douglas David Robertson. Uh, before we get into the next topic that we'll end the podcast with, Joe, where can everyone find you? Uh, you can find me and my newly verified Twitter account uh, at JAPatrick200. You can also follow uh, at Five Stripe Final. Follow our podcast I do with uh, Sam Jones, this other guy, Sam Jones. I don't know if you ever. This blue check has just totally gone to his head. <laughs> it's, it's just embarrassing for all of us. Um, so Respect you, check. Check. <laughs> you and I talked about we're talking about this while we were watching training for the first time since March 2020 today. And if you think there's a coincidence between that and Gabriel Hines being let go, uh, you're incorrect. Um, 
what are the characteristics that you think Atlanta United needs in its next manager? They need to hire Ted Lasso. <laughs> they need. <laughs> that's going to be the joke that's running. But like seriously, I think the reason why people laugh at it is because they know that the team needs somebody like that. Somebody who's going to bring the team together a little bit, create a better environment in the team. Honestly, like loosen the reins a little bit, not just tactically. And just let them play. Right. Exactly. Like, and, and and you know, one of the things about you know that was kind of was disconcerting to me about the Doug McIntyre story, and obviously the big headline is kind of the water thing, but also just like the demand to have players have their phone ready at, you know on them at all times ready to come into the training ground on a moment's notice like that's the kind of thing that's going to grind on a player on a long season that's already you're performing a job that's physically taxing and then to have that kind of mental tax 24 7 is also really bad so um, I think somebody that can come in and, and kind of provide that relief but then also I think that you know MLS experience I think is going to be a real priority for this next manager which has not been the case with this team in the past and I honestly kind of think I, it feels like not that they would like go away from somebody in the past who had MLS experience but I almost think that they kind of I wonder if the club saw like an a former MLS coach as like um something that was unattractive to fans or something that kind of made them feel like a smaller club than yeah. what they aspired to be. I think that that's why they've gone out and kind of got these grandiose signings and yeah. in, in Frank DeBoer, Gabriel Heinze. So I think they'll be much more kind of pragmatic in that sense this time around. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and as you pointed out, we were sitting here joking a while ago, Heinze never even had to fly domestic anywhere with a team, uh, which is, and I, yeah, he doesn't know the half of it. But MLS is a very peculiar league. People don't understand the, the travel demands, the, the playing Saturday, playing Wednesday, playing Saturday, which happens in Europe, you know, commonly for Champions League teams, but not for the remaining teams. MLS, it's a common thing. Uh, it's going to happen a lot to Atlanta United coming up. And they're getting to fly charter this year, but next year, some of these are going to be domestic flights. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're getting to fly up same day, because I think, because of COVID, uh, which is not going to happen uh, in future years. It's really odd. I agree with you. I think they need someone who has some familiarity in some way with Major League Soccer. It needs to be somebody who's just going to allow the players to relax. Because I do think that Heinz has stressed everybody out. And I asked Anton if, if the players were stressed out, if they were overthinking in games, and that was part of why they just couldn't create, couldn't score. And he said he's never stressed out playing on a soccer field. So maybe I didn't ask the question correctly. But I do think there's just a tenseness there. Mm-hmm. The players talk to us all the time about Heinz has specific instructions for specific situations. And you can't play any sport like that, except maybe baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And when you're thinking instead of playing – you're already a second too late. Mm-hmm. And you could see that with the man-to-man marking this year. Uh, that's another thing. It's got to be just totally eliminated. Yeah. Um, so finding that guy, that's that's the challenge for Atlanta United. I, I mean, even like we heard, I can't remember what player said this, but I specifically remember a player talking to him uh, in press conferences earlier this year being like, he's so detailed, Gabriel Heinze, like if you're one step out of position in a certain, you know, when we're going over tactical stuff, he will literally move you one step over into the position you're supposed to be in. So, like, that's how kind of detailed and specific he wanted these players to be. And, yeah, I agree with you. When you are that specific, obviously you want that people sometimes will take this as, like, well, that matters. And, of course, like, tactics matter and where your body is positioned and things like that. That matters, of course. But, like, when players are just 
consumed and obsessed with that during a game especially. I think that's one of the reasons why we saw this team has lacked so much in the attacking third is because they're so focused on kind of being positioned right and doing everything correctly. Like, nobody wants to do something that's unexpected. And frankly, I feel like this team has been pretty easy to game plan for uh, in MLS. I bet, you know, because they're so rigid and just doing the same exact thing teams aren't worried about somebody springing a run that they weren't expecting or something like that. Yeah, that's kind of actually what makes Machop Choles play so inspiring that at least the past game, he was trying to make those runs, but nobody was getting the ball, uh, which has also got to be part of this stress thing. Well, what's he doing that? We, we don't train that way. <laughs> yeah. that, that kind of a thing. Yeah. And all Heinze could ever say was we just need to keep creating chances. We need, just need to keep creating chances. Well, you are, they but never, they're not, they're not high percentage right. chances. Yeah, they never did, really did. Like they never really created no. great oh. chances. And if you go back and look at this, the goals that this team has scored this year, I mean, own goal might be winning the the golden yeah. boot for this team right yeah. now. I mean, like, it, and they haven't really been great goals, like penalties, own goals. Barco uh, had the one really good goal uh, off the rebound, off the free kick. That goal was spectacular to watch, but it's still like it wasn't a goal yeah, that was individual moment of brilliance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there was like one back heel from Eric Lopez when I went back and looked. That was like the one that I could see. There was like a fluid team move right. that resulted in a in a nice goal. The the Robinson to uh, Moreno goal. Uh, a few games ago. Yeah, yeah. That one was decent. I consider that more like individual, yeah, but, individual brilliance. But really, that, yeah. that's been a problem with this team, actually going back to 2019. If you go back and you look at a lot of the goals that were scored under Frank DeBoer in his first season, a lot of them were moments of individual brilliance and not a lot of team play. And I want to say one more thing, uh, aside from chances, kind of moving on from there, but I thought they were going to be able to create a lot of chances this year with a very high press and turn teams over high up the field and then a lot of the chance creation work is pretty much already done for you. You're already in an advantageous position at that point. This team never really seemed to press high up the field. It did it in the first half against Philadelphia. That's true. Yep, exactly. And then yep. they got outcoached, uh, burned three goals on counterattacks in the second half, and never, ever did it again. Yep, that's, that's absolutely right. Which is dumb, in my opinion. It worked. You, get, you got beat in that game. Philadelphia's a good team. It may not happen the next game. Yeah, I don't know if, like, I would have to, like, go back and watch that game to see. But, again, I think that part of that is, like, teams – The re- I feel like this team has progressively kind of deteriorated over time because they've been easy to prepare for because they – it's just yeah. – teams know – while what they are trying to do may be kind of intricate um, individually and tactically, like, if you know it's coming, then it's – not that hard to prepare for. Yeah. You can stop it pretty easily. And especially when you don't have Joseph and like some of these players. It's going to be interesting to see if Rob Valentino puts any minor recalls in uh, with these two tough games upcoming. Uh, people might think Cincinnati is easy, but Cincinnati just scored four goals the other day. They allowed five, but I don't see Atlanta United scoring five uh, on Wednesday. And it's on the road where Atlanta United has been horrible for the past three years. And then you got Columbus which is not the team that started the season. This is a much, much better crew team. Um, so give me one name that you would like to see Atlanta United consider. Oh, since my considerations uh, are... You've got a blue check now. Yeah, that's true, that's true. <laughs> see, yeah, I was promoting Gabriel Heinze as manager before I had the check, and so that's why this all kind of came out. Is there a coincidence that Heinze is gone and you don't have a blue check? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the one... It, okay, uh, all that aside, 
Uh, the one I would like, the one I think is the best choice for this team is uh, Dominic Tarrant. I know that some people will kind of scoff at that. Uh, I think there there is a the wrong... Some people are saying that he left MLS because he didn't like the rules, didn't like the restrictions that the league placed upon him. That's that's not correct. Um, he There's an interview he did with uh, uh, an NYCFC blog called The Outfield that spoke to him one-on-one. Okay. And... and clarify that that was not the case. So he would be interested in coming back to MLS theoretically and I think that he has a lot of the things that we've talked about in the show that the team would need MLS experience, that kind of thing and he also kind of has the things that I think this club still kind of want, likes in a, in a manager which is kind of the kind of big club uh, experience or background or whatever as a guy who's come up through, was it Barcelona or he was with Pep Guardiola at Bayern Munich and some other places so um, that's the one name I think is probably the, the one that I would like to see most but Shows what I, I don't know anything, so we'll see. I'm sorry, Domi. You, you just got the Joe Patrick kiss of death right there. <laughs> who, do you, who do you think? Oh, who do I think? That's a really good question. I don't know. Um, you know, I heard uh, someone pointed out Jason Longshore said Frank Lampard the other day. I don't know if tactically Frank fits the bill for what they want to do. I threw out Juan Carlos Osorio a long time ago uh, before I think Frank was hired. He has MLS experience. He was good with Mexico. He plays attacking soccer. He's a nice guy. Some people scoff at Osorio because of his previous stints at MLS, but he's a good coach. But he's he's getting up there in age now. So you're going to hear a lot of names being thrown out, uh, a lot of the retreads from England uh, that have gone around and around will be brought up because they're trying to get their name out there. I wouldn't put a lot of stock in those guys. It's going to be a name that I think is going to surprise everyone, much like Tata, much like DeBoer. Um, and Joe's pointing his finger up. Well, so either he's testing the well, wind or he wants to say something. <laughs> well, I was going to say you mentioned Jason Long- I, I heard Jason Longshore mention Frank Lampard's name on Off the Woodwork yesterday. Okay. I don't even know. If that may have been a fan that brought oh, that gotcha, name, and that's gotcha, why he brought okay. up. He wasn't, like, pining for him at all. Uh, I would actually kind of be interested. I wouldn't be opposed to Frank Lampard, to be perfectly honest. I know nothing about him tactically or anything, but I could see, like, you know, Englishmen. I could see that kind of fitting, like, Eels getting on well with him and, um you know, he seems like a guy who would kind of bring a squad together and, and kind of be a, an interesting face. So I could see it, honestly, but uh, no idea if he was it would actually be like a tactical fit or whatnot or even be interested in coming. But, yeah, I think you're right that there's going to be tons of names to get thrown out. The good thing is that I think this is going to come to a resolution pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, you know, Rob Valentino, God bless the guy, was great, said all the right things when we just talked to him, but, I mean, clearly he's not a manager that you want in the position, even more than, like, four or five games, honestly. So I think that we will see um, a new face in here pretty soon. I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the month uh, yeah. they'll have they'll have a person named. They may not have started by then, but the name will be out there, um, along with a signing, because they are four points out of seventh, which is not insurmountable, but they're six points out of sixth. And the East is a beast this year. Mm-hmm. The good thing for Atlanta United is it's – you don't play a lot of Western Conference teams, so there's going to be some cannibalization. A lot of time to make up ground. At the table. Yeah. Um, or chances to make up But ground. if they can't get through the end of this month and they, they lose even more ground, if they're 10 points out of sixth place mm-hmm. by the end of July, that is a tough, tough gap to yeah. overcome. It could easily go quickly one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
We're going to wrap up this edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. As always, I'm Doug Robertson. You can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. Joe, again, how can people find you? Uh, at JAPadrick200 on Twitter and uh, at Five Stripe Final is my podcast and at Dirty South Soccer, of course, at Dirty South Sock SOC. Give Sam a hug for me, please. Will do. All right. Talk to y'all later. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution is taking Georgia political coverage to the next level. Now, Georgia's smartest political team is adding Hall of Fame political broadcaster Bill Nygut. I am beyond thrilled to be joining the remarkable political team at the AJC. And with the year that we have unfolding in politics, it's going to be an exciting ride. Read Bill Nygut's expert insight on AJC.com and listen to the Politically Georgia podcast with me, Greg Bluestein. And me, Patricia Murphy. And me, Tia Mitchell. Hear new episodes every weekday. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.